It's great to see everybody here. Worship team, thank you. You did outstanding. Um, that song, No Longer Slaves to Fear, is very key to uh, what we're talking about today. And we're going to continue on with our, um, our series, Fear Not. How many of you remember last weekend we talked about Mary being afraid when she was presented? Uh, an angel came to her and said, guess what, Mary? We have news for you. Great, great news for you. And I'm sure she was just, uh, we talked about how she was afraid of what that looked like. And today we're going to talk about Joseph's part of this story. And uh, we're going to talk about the fear that Joseph faced. And it is really this, very simply put, it'll easy be, be easy for you to remember this. It's the fear of what other people think about us. None of y'all struggle with that, I'm quite sure. Uh, how many people pleasers do I have in the house? People, oh, there's a lot of us. I'm surprised. People pleasers, you know, the only reason why you raised your hand is because you felt obligated to because I was asking, but you went through a little turmoil there because what if the person beside me, if I offend them for raising my hand, people pleasers suffer. We just, we struggle. <laughs> we always trying to make everybody happy all the time. And I'm here to tell you today, uh, there's hope for us. <laughs> and all of you out there that didn't raise your hand, if, you, if you're not a people pleaser, you're the people that make our life tough. <laughs> <laughs> right. So obviously, there are some people that are more prone to that. I'm a people pleaser by nature, and it's difficult sometimes. I pass that graciously down to my oldest daughter. She, in turn, is a people pleaser. And there, you have to learn how to live with that. And, and the rest of the world that doesn't quite fall into that category, we all care about what people think of us. If we didn't, things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter would go out of business. The reason why those things exist is because we care what people think about us. In fact, we care so much that we want to have our Facebook lifestyle, right? The one where it's, man, I wish I lived like Andrew. He has all kinds of cool things that he does all the time. Nice quotes, nice pictures. Meanwhile, my world is falling apart because I have my Facebook life and then I have my real life, right? And as long as I can keep my phone connected, you guys think everything's great, right? So uh, those companies have made a good living uh, because people, we all care about what people think of us. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I found this particular message very, very much hitting me in the chest because I identify with, with how this unpacked. And we talked about, you know, when angels came to people, we talked about this last week, they generally had to follow up in some point of the conversation by, don't be afraid, I'm not here to take you away or kill you or whatever. So uh, this whole premise of how God is speaking to mankind through this interchange, through this medium of sending an angel, uh, was very unnerving to the people that were the recipients of that. And Joseph was no different. But I want to kind of help you understand the story whenever this, this enters into the scene uh, of Christmas and, and the Christmas story that we all know about, which, by the way, I just want to, want to let you know that next weekend is going to be awesome. You do not want to miss next weekend. We're getting, it's the weekend before Christmas. It's going to be awesome here. Uh, so make sure you bring somebody with you. And then, of course, Christmas Sunday. We're having church on Christmas Sunday. And so pay attention to your emails, Facebook, and all, that, all of those things. We're going to start at 9 o'clock. Look at your neighbor and say 9. The reason why we moved it back is so we can get in here do our Christmas service, and then everybody can get home early enough to, to uh, take care of all the Christmas things that happen. So don't forget that. So the story of Christmas that we're stepping into, Angel spoke to Mary, told her what's happening. Now Joseph has his part to play. And, and just want to help you understand from a cultural perspective, in those days when you were betrothed or you were engaged, you had basically the marriage contract had already been signed. 
So it wasn't, uh, I don't like this girl anymore. I'm not going to be married to her. Let's break off the engagement. There was none of that that went on, right? If you, if you were going to break the betrothal, you had to go through either a death of one of the potential spouses or you would have to file for divorce. Well, I'm not even married yet. Well, in their, in their time period, that contract was binding. So, so just so you understand how that looks. So in Matthew chapter 1... Verse 18, we're jumping into the story, and it says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged, betrothed, engaged, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about Mary's perspective last week, but imagine when she pulled out her, her iPhone and text Joseph, said, Hey, sweetie, uh, could we grab coffee on Wednesday, I've got some news, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> sure, babe, I'll meet you at Dunkin' Donuts, and we'll have coffee, and it'll be great. I can't wait to see you. I've had a busy week at work, but it'll be nice to connect. And so Mary and Joseph have this interchange. I mean, imagine uh, we're sitting together. Babe, why are you so nervous acting? And You're not even touching your coffee. What's going on? What, what, what do you want to talk about? Well, babe, uh, I have some news. Um, uh, now, it's going to be hard for you to take this, but try to, try to understand I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, there's only one way this happens up to this date. There's only one way this happens. So imagine, I mean, we read this story and we, we read it as a package deal and, and we don't always think about the details and the struggles and the, the anxiety and the, the fear that would have kind of wrapped itself... Joseph realized at this moment when he understood what was happening that his life was changing forever. In those days, friends, sexual immorality, they had a great solution for the problem. They drug people out and threw rocks at them until they died. <laughs> problem solved. No more there, right? I mean, this is, a, this is not just, you know, I might have a bad reputation. I'm going to have to move out of town and change my last name or something. There's none of that. This was a major deal. It was, it was the, the law of their world was, was broken. And Joseph knew when he understood this information that he was going to be marked for the rest of his life. But Joseph was a noble man. He was a good man. And the reason why I can say that with, with some uh, affirmity is because... In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, this is proof that Joseph was a noble man. He said, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He did what he was supposed to do. Yet he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So as soon as he found out this news, you know, he's, he's, I'm sure he's crushed his Dunkin' Donuts cup of coffee and spilled it everywhere when he's trying to you know, listen to her story and figure out how this is really coming about. And, and he's working through all his emotions and all these feelings. And then after the fact, you know, she's a good girl. You know, I believe what she's saying. I have no reason not to. But you know, we have laws we got to live by. There's things I, ca- I, have, to, I have to adhere to. And, and so I'm not going to shame her. She's a good person. I believe this is right. So he was already trying to figure out a way to do this the right way so that Mary wouldn't suffer, right? And so he could back out of this arrangement. I mean, it'd be easy. You know, my wife's pregnant. We hadn't been, you know, yeah, we're not married yet. <laughs> it would have been easy for him to turn this whole thing around, but he, he was a nobleman. He didn't want to do that. And so Joseph's about to launch into something that's going to wreck his world, change his life. And one of the critical life lessons he's about to learn, and all the people pleasers in the house, listen to this, pleasing God oftentimes means disappointing people. 
Pleasing God oftentimes means disappointing people. Doing the right thing oftentimes means that it's not the popular thing that you're doing. And so Joseph is understanding. He, he's, he's trying to figure this out the way he knows best, abiding by the rules and the law of his day. And he's got a good family. He's got a good girl. They've grown up together. He doesn't want to create a problem. But what do I do with this? And Matthew, skipping down to verse 20, verse 21. But after he had considered this, he's thinking about it. An angel of the Lord. Here we go again. Another angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. The King James Version says, fear not. To take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, he's dreaming. Maybe he had, you know, I, I, he's having an encounter with an angel. Mary, what she said is true. You've got to be kidding me. This is really a God thing. This is not something that's made up. And, and, and the angel says she will give birth to a son and you're going to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's why we have a Christmas story. That's why we have salvation. That's why we're able to be here today because of this encounter. And so we understand that in verse 20 it says, Joseph was considering this. In other words, he was working through all these details over in his mind. You know, you know when you're really worried about something, doesn't matter what you're doing, it's still running in the back of your mind. You're trying to figure it out. You're trying to sort out, what do I need to do? How do I need to sort this out? He's working through all this. He's trying to figure it out. He goes to sleep, a fitful sleep, and an angel comes to him, and this encounter happens. And then he hears that this isn't just a whopper of a tale that Mary's telling. This is the truth, and my son is going to be the Messiah. The other thing that you and I don't understand is you and I don't understand how many generations that they sat as children in the synagogue and they heard the, the prophet Isaiah being read to them about the promise of a Savior and a Messiah. Generations and generations had prayed for this and hoped for this. And when all of a sudden in this angelic visitation, Joseph realizes there's going to be his kid that's going to be the Messiah. It's going to be his, his son was literally going to bring salvation to the world. This guy's face with a he wakes up, cold sweat, heart palpitations. He's about to pass out. He's freaking out. He's just had this encounter with an angel and everything is laid out in front of him. And he's like, what do I do? You know, the, the angel visitation to Mary was private. Nobody else was around. The angel visitation to Joseph was nobody else was around. So remember, these are the only two people that are aware of what's going on. So even though he got a big confirmation from heaven that this is all going to work out just fine, it still didn't fix the problem of his day, did it? It still didn't change what people were going to think. It still didn't change the fact that people will forever do the math. <laughs> From the day Mary and Joseph tied the knot to the day Jesus was born, let's see, one, two, that, that just doesn't work. <laughs> That's just not adding up. Forever, they were going to have to deal with some sort of stigma, some sort of something. And so Joseph was faced with, faced with this life moment. Do I do what people want or do I do what God wants? Do I do what people want or do I do what God wants. And here's the life lesson that Joseph had to endure, that Mary had to endure, and that you and I are going to listen to today. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you.
The quickest way for you to forget what God thinks about you is to become obsessed with what people think about you. Let that simmer for a moment. The reality of it is, you know, you all met people. I don't care what people think. That is not true. It's not true. Because at the end of the day, there's always this, do you like me? Right? Do, 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 do I fit in with this group? Do, do they think that what I'm doing is acceptable? I mean, all of these thoughts that govern us, that guide us. Now, some people can say, I don't really let what people think influence me too much. And that can be a true statement. But to say that I don't care what people think, I don't really believe there's really any truth to that. And because we're wired for that, before we realize it, we get to the point where we surrender our lives to the opinions of others at the expense of pleasing God. If Joseph would have been so worried about what everybody would have thought of his family and his lineage and his name, and it was a big deal in those days... He had a decision, do I do what God is saying or am I more concerned about what all these people are saying because it's going to follow me the rest of my life. And he had a moment where he could have made a decision to do something different than what God had planned for him. Every one of us that are Christ followers in this place today, when we begin to unpack what we are called to do and what we are called to be, we're faced with a choice. Do I do what God is asking me to do or am I more concerned about what people are going to think about me? And I cannot tell you how that struggle becomes a reality. I face it in my own life and I know you face it in yours. But there's an alternative to that. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. You flip you flip the paradigm, right? When all of a sudden you start becoming obsessed with what God thinks about my life, then all of a sudden the opinions of others, those peripheral people that for some reason have so much influence in your life, all of a sudden they just kind of drowned out into the distance. And what matters is pleasing the one who created you. What matters is pleasing the one who has put purpose in your life and has given you the life that you live. And, and it becomes a reason to do what God has called you to do. Let me tell you something. It is impossible to please everyone all the time. It's impossible. It's barely possible for me to please my wife all the time. But I do. I do. <laughs> it's impossible to please everyone all the time. And if you live under that kind of pressure, you will literally have a life filled with anxiety. And what we don't realize is we allow that pressure to move into our life without us really making a, a conscious decision for it because we're, we're concerned, okay, so if, if, I, if I like Trump, then, then my friends will like me. But you might have some, I like Hillary people, and then all of a sudden they don't like you. So you can't like both of those people. Uh, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? It, it applies to everything. It applies to politics. It applies to fashion. It applies to movies. It applies to places you eat. Everything you do in life. You know, what shoes I wore this morning. I wonder, I wonder if the, the folks are going to like my black boots today. You, know, you get consumed with this idea of acceptance. And because it becomes such an obsession, pretty soon we've factored God out of the equation. And everything we do has somehow uh, driven or directed by the opinion and the thoughts of the people in our lives. And please follow me and understand what I'm saying you're not supposed to live your life just hook everybody else. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we become obsessed with what people think of us, it causes us to distance ourselves and not understand what God thinks about us. 
So I'm here to tell you, since it's not possible to please everyone, I'm here to give you hope because it is possible to please God. (laughs) While you can't please everyone, you can most assuredly please God. Because if you become obsessed with what God thinks about you, that's the quickest way for you to forget what other people think about you. Joseph had to reach the point where he valued what God saw in him, said to him, asked him to do more than he valued what his reputation may end up becoming. There was a lot of unknowns there, but he took the step anyway. So I have a question. How do we live for God instead of people? How do we live for God instead of people? There's two things we want to focus on today real quick. First one, I've already said it. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. I want to make this statement. It's a little aggressive. It's a little harsh, but understand what we're talking about. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you may not be ready to really be used by God. It's not that God is out to make your life miserable. It's not that he's out to, I know exactly what I'm going to do to that guy. Everybody's going to hate him. It's not that. It's that if you have a purpose in your life and God knows that, he's going to take you on a path that is going to get you there. And let me tell you something. Not everybody that says they love you really loves you. (laughs) And they're not really excited about you winning. Losers never congratulate the winner. Losers don't want you to win. That's why they're a loser. (laughs) Because you won. (laughs) So you have people in your life. I've heard this said before. I, I don't want someone who has nothing, who has a useless life, giving me life advice. Right? That doesn't make sense. But if I know someone who has their life and they're going somewhere, they have success, I want to sit and see what they have to say. But yet all the time we allow family members and friends to speak into our life. They're not really concerned about our best interests. It's coming from a place that's not good. And so they're not going to give you advice that's going to help you win. They're going to give you advice that's going to keep them at their level or below. That is a life lesson. That's why the scripture says... Life and death, the power of that is where? It's in the tongue. It's in the tongue. So when I'm saying that if you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you may not be ready to be used by God, I'm simply trying to help you understand that you can't always please God without disappointing some people. If I'm not doing what God wants me to do, I'm sure not going to try to help you do what God wants you to do. Right? If I know that I'm supposed to be doing more with my life than what I am, I'm not going to be your biggest fan cheering you on when I watch you cross the finish line, am I? What's the old saying? Misery loves company. Misery loves company. So Joseph and Mary came to this realization that we've got to make a decision and doing what God says may not be the popular thing to do. Doing what God says may not be what everybody's expecting from us. Doing the God thing is probably going to cause some real kickback from the in-laws. Joseph, what are you doing marrying a girl like that? <laughs> how does this relate to me? I'll tell you how it does. You know, we, we spend time on Sunday. We listen to messages. We, we maybe use our Bible app and listen to it on the way to work. And we come across something and... And the word of God is convicting us. And, you know, maybe we realize that that parting lifestyle that we've been living in is really not the lifestyle that's conducive to a Christ follower. All of a sudden we're faced with a decision. Those parting lifestyle people that we hang around, if all of a sudden we say, you know what, guys, you can count me out. I'm not really going to do that anymore. What? Not, you don't think you're going to get some opposition? Oh, we're so proud of you. We're going out partying Friday night, but we'll be thinking of you back home praying. 
<laughs> that's not how that works, does it? Another one that's big in our society today is sexual purity, sexual morality. And when, when you make a decision to live a pure life, let me tell you something, you will have opposition. You will have people that will be, what is wrong with you? What century do you live in? I mean, go join the Amish community if that's how you're going to live. Might as well get the horse and buggy. But yet you've got to make this decision doing the right thing. People are not always going to buy into the fact that you're doing the right thing. People are not always going to support the fact that you're doing the right thing. That is why it's so important that you associate yourself with people that are fellow fellow believers that will encourage you on your journey because you will face opposition when you make a decision to do what God is asking you to do. You may be feel called to serve God in some more active way, go on, on a missions trip, feed homeless people, volunteer a couple of days of your vacation time to help a set of VBS that's coming this summer. Or there's a project going on at church and you're going to take a few days off. People will look at you like, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? That's not what society does. But when you begin to understand that what God is calling you to do, what God is looking at you for is more important and I value how God sees me more than how people see me, then all of a sudden there's a paradigm shift that happens and you become fueled because the passion in your life is connected to what God has created you to be and you find fulfillment, real fulfillment, not worried about what everybody thinks of you because you can't make everyone happy all the time, can you? So if you really, really want to make a difference in this world, if you really want to make a difference in your life, if you want to leave a legacy behind you that says that person made a difference, then you can just about guarantee that there'll be more difficulty and more opposition that you'll face than the guy who doesn't really care. Right? The path of least resistance is the path that everybody follows. But every once in a while, there's someone that says, you know what, I'm just not going to do what everybody else is doing because I'm created for something more. When you do something significant for God, you will face criticism and resistance. And here it is again. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. However, the alternative is becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way for you to forget what people are saying and thinking about you. I read a story, or it was an article a guy wrote one time, and he was really this, this thing of, of stepping out and, and, and being aggressive and worrying about what people thought of him. Uh, he, went, he attended a funeral, and there was a lot of people in the funeral, and he was watching the people's faces And the thought occurred to him, how many people are actually going to cry at my funeral? How many people that I'm worried about now will even attend my funeral? And at that moment, that he had a kind of an aha moment in that in that processing that event, he realized then why am I allowing people that are on the peripheral of my life have so much say in what I do with my life? We have an audience of one, folks. We have an audience of one, and that is our creator. And at the end of this life, what he thinks about me trumps anything that you guys may think about me. Right? The second thing is extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. The Savior of the world was born when two young people just said yes to something they were asked to do. Imagine the questions that Joseph and Mary must have had when they were thinking about raising the Messiah. So generations they've been praying for this Messiah, and all of a sudden they realize they're going to have him. I mean, Joseph's thinking, do I need to say for college? Where do they send Messiahs to college? 
Messiah Seminary? I mean, <laughs> is there an online course for this? <laughs> is he going to be normal? Is he going to come out with miracles? All What's this guy going to be like? I, we, it's, it's comical to think about it, but I'm telling you, all of you have, have children. Have, when you knew you were having a child, all these things that you thought about, they thought about. Right? Are they going to make fun of him at school? Is he going to rain down fire from heaven if they do? <laughs> I want to be his best friend. He, like, you know, he's never going to get bullied. <laughs> they sure didn't know that after he lived 33 and a half years, they were going to see him hanging on a cross. I can assure you of that. They had no idea that one day they would see their son die for something that he did not do. So imagine the things they went through trying to figure out all this stuff. And you know, the thought occurred to me that when God asks us to do something, we feel prompted to do something for God, and we say, God, well, how is it going to work out? And all of a sudden, it's just deathly silent. You know, I just felt God saying, I need to do this. I mean, I feel it real. I'm passionate. I know what he's saying. And then I ask a question, and it's like he left. He packed up and moved. If God told us everything at the beginning, we'd never have the courage to take the first step. If Mary knew, Mary, you've been selected, you're the favorite of heaven, and we were, you know, you're going to have a son, and he's going to die a brutal death on the cross. But don't worry, he'll rise again. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they didn't give all of that information. Just, are you willing? That's really the question. Are you willing? And here's the thing, right? You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately, do you? You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Mary and Joseph didn't know all the details, but they knew enough to trust. They knew enough that said, you know what, I'm not worried about what people think at this point. I've had an encounter with God. He has spoken to me. I have a purpose. And whether people accept it, believe it, or are like me for it, it doesn't really matter because I'm more obsessed with what God thinks about me than what other people at the market are going to think about me. If they don't buy my furniture because Joseph was a carpenter and they didn't buy his furniture because he had a bad situation, none of that mattered. Because you don't have to know everything to just say yes when God speaks to you. Last time, uh, last week we talked about obedience being our responsibility, but whose responsibility was the outcome? It was God's, right? Our responsibility is obedience. His responsibility is the outcome. I'll tell you a story kind of, of how I'm ended up, I've ended up where I'm at. I, my dad was up visiting uh, just a few weekends ago, and we were, we were talking about, he had done some family lineage studies, and, and I didn't know this, but we're like, I think, six generations of, of pastors in our family. And I had no idea. I've got some, y'all, I've got some rough family. I've got some guys, no lie, they have white hooded sheets in their closets. I'm not kidding you. There are guys in my family lineup that are moonshiners. There are guys in my, I had an uncle who was on the FBI most wanted list for like 10 years. Great family, great lineage. Family reunions, everybody's packing. <laughs> lunch, lunch, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> so I don't come from this beautiful family of perfection, but interwoven in all that chaos is people that were standing up for what's right. They didn't care what everybody said, they just did what the right thing to do was. And so I didn't know that, and so I haven't heard my dad's story before, and my dad was just kind of fell into the same kind of lifestyle, crazy, crazy, crazy troublemaker, uh, come from a family of fighters and, and drinkers and just a great family lineage. And so my grandmother sent him off to church camp. Last resort, send him to church camp. They'll find God, something. So my dad was there. 
He was not interested in being there, had no interest in being there. So he was more interested in the women that were there than, than anything else that was happening there. So he, he, he broke some rules like halfway through the camp, and they were going to kick him out. And so the, the, the leadership met, like, we got to kick this Johnny Wayne out of here because he's in trouble. And so, so one guy stood up and said, you know what, let's give the guy one more shot. I just can't, I, I, I know you guys don't agree with me, but just trust me, let's give him one more chance. And so they didn't send him out that night. The next morning he was able to stay. And the following day he found Christ and changed. And I'm standing here today because of that. And my children will continue on with a lineage that is a lot better than what we started from because someone did what they felt God was saying to do regardless of what people thought. This guy who stood up for him had a a reputation to uphold, right? Right? Everybody disagreed with him, but they gave him a chance. So I'm telling you, you never know when, when that simple act of obedience, you don't know everything, but you can obey instantly. And when you have that moment of obedience and you do what God is asking you to do, you just never know down the line what's going to happen as a result of that. What is set in motion when someone is just simply obedient? It changes everything, and we don't know all of that. You know, you invite the person to come to you with you next week because we're going to have some, some Christmassy stuff going on. You know, you don't know what's going to happen when you make that simple invitation. They come here, they find Christ, and in the future, their children are doing something for God. Amen. You just don't know what a simple act of obedience will do. Maybe you, you, you feel like, I, well, I need to serve in the church in some capacity, and so I'll volunteer to, to watch the rugrats upstairs for a little bit. And, you, and all of a sudden, you find out, these kids, man, they're hungry for God. They want to know about Jesus, and I'm telling them about Jesus. And this young life that's driving you crazy at the moment is going to grow up having a solid foundation that knows who Jesus is. We're talking about changing generations because someone just is obedient, just doing what they've been asked to do. How many of you guys got a hug when you walked into our, our foyer this morning? Did it smell good out here? There's treats out there. There are people smiling at you. The Connections team was there. I give a big shout out to all those people. I mean, Philip has a beautiful smile. And you get to see it every morning when you come to church, right? Shannon, I went to give her a handshake and she says, give me a hug, right? It just, there was such a, a welcoming, a, just feeling in that foyer. And you know why? It's not by accident. It's because we mean for it to be that way. And the people that are out there serving every weekend are doing it because they feel that's an obedience to God. God asked, they did it. Well, what good's a hug? I'll tell you what good a hug is. If you have nobody in your life that cares about you and you walk into a church and in a foyer, some stranger embraces you, shakes your hand, I'm so happy to see you, you do not know the impact that exchange in 30 seconds can have on a life. And that's why we do what we do. Because we don't know everything. We just know he said do it, we're going to do it. Right? We don't have to know everything to act immediately with a decision of obedience. You might open your home to a small group. We've been talking about small groups a lot, talking about it, and we're wanting people to step up and do it. You might open a small group in your house on how to raise redheaded kids, right? We're going to have a group. We're going to talk about how to raise redheaded kids. And you build a relationship with this family because they have a redheaded kid. And all of a sudden, you know, you develop a relationship, and there's a 
a warm family, welcoming environment. You're talking about life. And that red-headed kid grows up, and he loves Jesus. And he goes to Ireland as a missionary where there's lots of red-headed people. And he shares the gospel to people that are red-headed, all because you had a small group that said, I just care about families who have red-headed kids. <laughs> right? Gingers have souls. They do. They do. Contrary to popular belief. The point is, a simple. you don't have to know everything to be obedient immediately. You don't have to know everything to say yes when God says, will you? You don't have to know how it's all going to work out. And I'm telling you, we do it. We can't help ourselves. God says, I want you to give, and we automatically go to our bank account. No, that's not going to add up right. God clearly forgot about my Verizon bill. No. You don't have to know everything to act immediately when God speaks. Because it's in those moments where we trust in just completely. We take the step. We don't know how it's going to work out, but we take the step because we feel God prompting and we do it. And then we get to see this small act of obedience just ripple and change things that we could not have figured out on our own. I could sit with you this morning over coffee. We could have a big pot of coffee and we could talk. And I could tell you stories in my life that I had no idea they were going to turn out the way they turned out. All I knew was he said do it and I did it. I don't do it every time, but I try. Because there's something in our heart that if we connect to God, if we care, if I become obsessed with what he thinks about me, then I become less concerned about those peripheral people and what they think about me. And so we know that Angel said, don't be afraid, take Mary, everything's going to work out. You're going you're gonna to raise the Messiah. He's going to set the world free. He's going to save people's lives. He's going to change the world that you know it. And Joseph had to make a decision. Who am I more concerned about pleasing? And here's the game changer. In Matthew chapter, 24, or chapter 1 verse 24, Joseph woke up. And here it is. He did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. A simple act of... Of, he, he, it shows us that he was worried about it. It tells us he was considering his options. It tells us that he was going to try to make it work out where he could just kind of separate and nobody really know the difference. He told, the Bible tells us all this stuff, but at the end of it, when he woke up, he did what the angel asked him to do. A simple act of obedience. I mean, how many Christmases do we get to have because he said yes? We celebrate, I was thinking about it this morning, you know, Christmas has become what Christmas is. I mean, I literally have to go shopping today because it's Christmas time. It has become what it is today. But to you and I, to believers, it is, it is really the cornerstone of our salvation. The fact that this miracle happened is what gives us hope today. And all because two young people said, you know what, we don't understand it. But we'll do it. We'll be obedient. Through one simple act of obedience, worship team, you can come. One simple act of obedience, the greatest act of God in human history was set in motion. I could fast forward to Easter, right? The Bible unfolds this picture of Jesus on a cross. The brutality of him arriving at that point had unfolded. And there's a scene in this story. Jesus is on the cross and his mom is in the crowd. 
And in all of the chaos of what was transpiring on that day, you can read in the Gospels, it's an amazing account. He looks down from the cross, and John, one of his disciples, is standing there. I'm sure he's holding Mary because she's weeping. Mary had no idea when she said yes, she would experience this. He's holding her, and Jesus from the cross, I mean, he is, his life is ending. Redemption is happening in 60 second increments. And in all of the chaos, he looks down and says, John, in the King James, it says, John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. All of the greatness of God wrapped up in a human body, he takes a moment to take care of his mother. Let me tell you something about a simple act of obedience. God never, hear me, never forgets. He never forgets a simple act of obedience. Change the lenses you put on when you read the Gospels and you look at the encounters that he had with people and the ones that moved him the most were not the famous people, were not the wealthy people, were not the people that were religious from their mother's womb, not those people. The people that, that spoke to him the most were the ones that were simply obedient. You say it, I believe it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. Normally, normally when we get to this point, our prayer team, I'm going to need you guys to come up here. We're down one today. Nick, why don't you come help us today? I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Normally, at this point, I ask everybody to close your eyes because I don't want anybody, I want you to feel as comfortable as you can. If you're timid or nervous, you know, we get everybody to close their eyes so you can raise your hand and say, I don't know Jesus, I'd like to. We do that in consideration for people that, that may feel uncomfortable. And we usually ask you to keep your eyes closed when we invite people to come up front because we don't want it to be awkward. But you know what? Today, I don't care about awkward. Right? I don't care. You shouldn't care what the person sitting beside you is going to think. If you step out and walk up here and they think, man, what did she do this week? Who cares? Because what God thinks about you right now is more important than all that, right? It's more important than all that. So I'm telling you, the worship team is going to sing this song. And this song was picked for today. The words, I'm no longer a slave to fear because I am a child of God. And you may not be a child of God. And I'm going to, before you step out, I'm going to pray over you. If you don't know Jesus, you can just slip your hand up. Father, before we do anything else, anyone in this room that does not know you, that's lifted up their hands, I'm asking God that you would touch their hearts. God, we're sinners. We confess with our mouth that you're the Savior. I, we repent of our sins. We confess, God, that we are, we are broken on our own. And without you, we have no hope of eternity. God, but today, I accept you in my life. I know that you can change me. I know that you can fill me with your spirit. And that's what I'm looking for in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer with me, thank you for praying that prayer with me. I prayed it with you. I prayed it together because I want you to, to know Christ. But if you're here today... And you're struggling with fear. You know God's been talking to you. You should have done it, but you're not because you're worried about what this person's going to say, what my mother-in-law's going to think, what my father-in-law's going to say, what my dad's going to do, what my co-worker's going to do. It doesn't matter. 
What is God asking you to do? Your simple act of obedience will change the world that you know. So as they begin to sing, I'm asking you to step out from where you're sitting, where you're standing. Come on, I know God's talking to some people here. What's holding you back? What is keeping you from stepping up here to one of these people that will pray with you? Don't worry about what someone's thinking. Instead, what God, what are you asking from me? What are you asking for? Thank you for coming. Those of you that are stepping out, thank you. If you're just afraid because it feels like a big thing God's asking, I'm asking you to come. We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you. Come on, prayer team. Let's connect with these people that have stepped up. God's doing some big stuff in people's heart. Come on, y'all. If you're standing back there and you feel fine where you're at, then I'm asking you to pray for those that stepped up. Come on. Let's do it. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your presence here today. God, you're talking to hearts. You've been talking to hearts, God. Help us, Lord, to be concerned more about what you think about us than whether or not we're going to offend somebody or, or we're allowing people's opinions to drive our life. God, what do you say we are? Who do you say we are? What's your purpose for us? Help us not to be afraid. Help us to fear not because you have a great purpose for us.